Hey gang, Turner here with your off-week content from the Gimme the Loot podcast. This week we're back with another Hunter's Party in the off-week, specifically HP number 7, Hookman, and this is really where the show takes a turn towards its final form, which is you know, the framework of a supernatural recap bracketed around the different internet wormholes it will send me down. It only gets more tangential from here. And you know what? I think the show's the better for it because I have to say that. I mean, what do you want me to do? You want me to be like, oh no, it's terrible. No, it's fantastic. You love it. Thanks for coming back. We appreciate you joining us. Hey, Mondays, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, we stream on Twitch. Saturdays, I'm usually back on for a boozy Baldur Gates 3 stream. Hop on down there in the show notes and get in it. And hey, if you don't feel like waiting two years for these episodes to come out, then maybe head over to patreon.com slash gmdlcast where you can get hot, freshly minted Hunter's parties. Do I mean hot in a weird, psychosexual way? I don't know. Join the Patreon and find out. Oh, and I may have forgot to mention Gimme the Loot, not a family-friendly show due to a mix of profanity, crude humor, gore. These Hunter's parties will have some rougher references. This is a recap slash review of a 15-year-old horror-based show. So keep that in mind, content warning-wise. Thanks for joining us. Sincerely do appreciate it. Back next week with a heist that will go off exactly as smoothly as it was planned. Hope you enjoy the rebroadcast of the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hunter's Party, the Supernatural Rewatch and D&D Conversion podcast brought to you by the Gimme the Loot podcast, the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast that has a Patreon now. Thanks for joining us, gang. If you're hearing this, that means you're a supporter of the podcast and we absolutely appreciate your support. Joining me to go over episode 7, Hookman, is... It's Harlan. Uh, you know me. If you listen to the podcast, I, I play Todd the Tiefling. Um, yeah, you're you're MVP. So you, keep voting for that. You specifically asked if you had to mention your character, I know. and then I said no, and you you did it anyway. Exactly. Also, you you said too, I didn't have to. If by <laughs> by if you mean your MVP, you mean hey, by the way, let's make let's give it to the fans to let them decide who MVP is, and we've done that one time, and the winner was in fact fate. Fate. Listen. Not not Todd. So until until you claim that crown, don't, listen, I, don't declare yourself the people's champions just yet, my friend. In their hearts, I am. I am. I am. <laughs> also <laughs> joining me <laughs> is Anthony, and I play Babatunde on Give Me the Do. All right, guys. So we're doing episode seven, Hookman, which is a little bit of a, a weird episode in a lot of different ways. I mean, there are some there are some historical elements in it for the show. Overall, not my favorite episode, but no. also weird in the respect that it is one of the few times that Supernatural goes to the urban legend well. And particularly, this episode, when kind of sorting through the, the trivia on a couple of different wikis, was originally supposed to air after the third episode, Wendigo. So it's supposed to go premiere, Wendigo, Hookman. But they pushed it later in the series, and so Phantom Traveler came third. What's weird, the show creator thought that, you know, it would be beneficial to have an urban legend episode early on to get people kind of hooked in, no pun intended. <laughs> but they pushed it back 
which okay for whatever reason but what's weird is they pushed it back and when they did they they pushed it back to where it aired within two weeks of another urban legend episode so i don't i don't understand why they would mm-hmm. you know push it back and go oh, it was right next to that other urban legend one because now the show seems like it's about urban legends and it's really it's really not yeah no this uh yeah this this episode wasn't one of my favorites and i'm a big fan of the show yeah, it's it's got some issues. And I was gonna say maybe it is where it got placed at, mm. but yeah, it's just no. It's it's forgettable in a lot of ways. But like I said, there are a couple of historical things, and I will say it threw me down a internet wormhole faster than any other supernatural series to date. And I'll explain that in just a second. We open, we open at the Theta sorority at Eastern Iowa University, where a young woman named Lori is asking her friend for advice about her outfit because she feels frumpy. Lori's friend Taylor gives her a different top. Lori chains into it and then heads out on her date. Yeah. Um, apparently, all the people at this uh, um, sorority house are all the exact same size, built the exact same way. Because <laughs> she just hands it out. Like, not, not even, she doesn't even ask, I wonder if this will fit. She just says, oh, this, I know this will fit because we're all size zeros, perfect in this, in this sorority house. Is that, is that unbelievable? We are interchangeable background female actor. Is that unbelievable? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, even though I get you, you know, this isn't their first interaction. They probably know they can wear the same clothes. That's true. Yeah. I, I, I think they are longstanding roommates. They probably know each other's size. Okay. What, what, you see every, every girl that walks past this already, they look exactly the same. <laughs> Bro, that's, that's broadcast television, right? <laughs> I know, I know. especially 15 years ago, broadcast television. Yes. The fact that Lori, not Lori, but Taylor, her friend, as a person of color, is amazing in and of itself for this early in Supernatural. No? Well, yeah, sorry. But yeah, it, it comes up in season one. There's, there's, there's another one. Yeah, the Wendigo dude who gets killed within like 15 minutes. No, 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 no. Um, Dean's love interest. Oh, yeah. Go, no, later she, on. True. Yeah, she it's comes true. up later yeah. on. Like I said, season one had a, had a few of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Lori is played by Jane McGregor, who's done a ton of stuff, but most recently has had a run on the Snowpiercer television remake, which mm. I haven't watched, but apparently she's done a chunk of that. Have either of you guys watched that at all? No, not, yeah. the, not the series. Yeah. I, did you watch the movie? Yes. I haven't, I haven't seen the movie. Really? Uh, yeah. No, I haven't. Oh, it's a good movie. It's a good that's, movie. That's the train one, right? Yeah. yeah, with and, um, Captain America on it. And apparently the TV series is pretty good. I heard that thing. And she has a substantial role in that. However, more interesting, Taylor, her friend, has, has also appeared in a ton of stuff. Specifically, she shows back up in Supernatural as a Crossroads demon. She's in Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which has popped mm. up earlier in the cast. Great movie. Mm-hmm. And she's in Arrow as Carly Diggle. Diggle's sister, I mean, has a pretty decent run on that. She played Maid Marion on Once Upon a Time, and then she had a role as a secondary police character in iZombie. So what you're saying is she's got a, a nice contract with the CW. <laughs> what I'm saying is she may not make it very long into this episode, but she has a lot better career than Lori. <laughs> Although Jane recently has got that, that other part. So all the actors we're call out on this, there's one actor that I don't call out because he only had a couple other parts. But, uh, you know, a- as with a lot of these CW shows, especially the Canadian productions, a lot of the, you know, the, the one-off characters have just got a really deep IMDb of you know, bit parts here and there. They're all pretty solid working actors. But specifically, I didn't recognize her at all. And because I've watched 
all of Arrow as Carly Diggle. That's what I reckon. Yeah. And that she's not the only Arrow alum from this. So Yeah, I recognize her from the 4400. I was I was trying to figure out what I recognize her from. She yeah, she's in the 4400. She got she is in a ton of stuff. Isn't that another CW show? No, it was a Canadian production of oh. a sci-fi show that is getting remade, I think, on the CW. But it's definitely going through a remake. Okay. It's it's on my to get to that I've never gotten to sci-fi list because again, it's one that's pretty decent. Start, starts good. Yeah. <laughs> Does some things later that, you know. <laughs> Doesn't make it. Yeah. It, somebody hit the wrap it up button on him for sure. It was just like, <laughs> wrap it up, B. <laughs> it was absolutely canceled on a cliffhanger. <laughs> this episode's directed by David Jackson, who, again, has got a, a ton of directing careers, including the original Swamp Thing TV series. That's kind of the biggest genre. And my, he's got some Miami Vice. He's got some some cool acting stuff in, or directing stuff in there. But what was interesting about it is I kind of dug into it. Kim Manners, who's kind of one of the key directors for Supernatural up until his death. And in fact, there's a whole season of Supernatural dedicated to this guy, was brought in to punch up the scares in the episode. So here's how quickly this one threw me down internet wormhole. This opens up with the Theta sorority at Eastern Iowa University. So I was like, okay, is that really a real sorority at a real college? Well, Thetas probably refers to Kappa Alpha Theta, which is a real sorority and are just referred to as the Thetas. Kappa Alpha Theta alums include Laura Bush, Barbara Bush, Jenna Bush, Tori Birch, Amy Holmes, Cheryl Crow, Gretchen Whitmer, Carrie Strug, Rue McClanahan, and Amy Grant. So what you're saying is, why was this black girl in this in the sorority? That was <laughs> I am not saying that, but I am pretty sure Lori is in fact Jenna Bush's size. Is what I, is what I was getting. At. Uh, so while that is a real sorority, Eastern Iowa University is in fact a fictional university. What's even weirder, as you kind of poke around and, and look at it, though, the wiki claims that Eastern Iowa University is a fictional location created by sci-fi author Stephen Barry. So I went, okay, let me look up this sci-fi author to see if there's some interesting trivia there. Well, I, I couldn't find anything by Stephen Barry, and until I poked at that, it was like, oh, no, wait, that, in fact, itself is a pseudonym for when Neil Stevenson... Another super prolific sci-fi author collaborates with another author who is, in fact, a pseudonym. So it sent me this weird spiral of pseudonyms. Neil Stevenson has written a ton of stuff in the cyberpunk, post-cyberpunk fiction, including Snow Crash, Cryptonomicon. I mean, he's, he's an incredibly famous sci-fi author. Is that really an interesting piece of trivia, or is this just a weird spiral of pseudonyms this thing has sent me down? So. <clears throat> And yes, she does look super young Republican when she's originally dressed, which again, throws us back to Laura and Jenna Bush. We do get the incident of the music and we'll, we'll touch on the music at the end of this, where we're still in that bubble of music, not licensed. So they're doing filler and that the weird interchange at the end where don't do anything I wouldn't do. There isn't anything I wouldn't do. And then the fact that they have to close on her friend going, that's true. I'm a huge <laughs> fucking slut. Like, this is necessary. You're yeah. going to kill this girl later. Did we have to go that route? No, they they that's the thing that they beat they beat into us every time we see this woman. Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And there is a story hook for that, but it is very ham-handed. So we we cut to a car pulling up under an old bridge. We immediately see a silhouette of a man never a good sign. Wait. Yeah, no. Wait. Never a good sign. <laughs> wait. The, the thing about that pulling into the bridge, she immediately goes 
We're not going. Doesn't look like. Oh, let, you get, get, let me get through the scene first, okay, and okay. Then, you, then you can hit on it. So we cut to a car pulling up under an old bridge. Uh, we see a silhouette of a man lurking in the bushes with a hook. Lori accuses her date of bringing her there to make out, then immediately starts making out with him. She gets a call from her dad. They begin making out again. The boyfriend goes for the top. Lori says no. Hookman advances. The boyfriend gets even handsier. We start to hear metal scraping, and we see the hookman dragging a sign and turn invisible. Boyfriend gets out of the car to investigate. We see car metal tear from a scrape, a tire pop, and a window crack. The boyfriend, Rich, or the date, Rich, then disappears. Lori locks the car and attempts to roll up the window. There's a long pause. Something hits the roof. There's another long pause, and then Lori gets out of the car and heads off on foot, turns back, and sees Rich all hooked up and hanging from a tree. Okay, so she goes, she is... She she finally realized, wait a minute, we're not going to this party we're supposed to go to. They are literally had to take back roads to get underneath the bridge. And she didn't question him at any time during <laughs> during the drive. She just waited till he got there, pulled up. Like it was just she knew that. I mean, because you can tell by the initial interchange is that, you know, she is like, oh, you like she is being playful about the oh, I thought we were going to the party because she leans in after that line. It's not until he goes for the top. She says no. And he goes for the top again. The move gets denied. Yeah, he makes the move. She says no. He goes back to the well figuratively. Wait, 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 wait. I read. I have this down because she. Uh, he makes the move. She goes no, and he goes. It's okay. Like yeah. he just gives her that yeah. look. Yeah, the boyfriend gets handsy, and that's what's weird is. And although it comes into play later, it's like Hookman's kind of there before they get there. Like you see him in the in the bushes right as he pulls up. When Rich goes to take her top off is when Hookman moves up, and when she says no the second time is when shit really starts to go down. Mm-hmm. And we find out this is actually. A decent storytelling, again, no pun intended, hook for what comes up later in the episode and, and is a little bit of foreshadowing for what we'll find out. I, I thought it was actually because even if you, if you go deep into the methodology that they establish, her knowing that they were going to there to make out plays into why Hookman can be there kind of lurking in the mm-hmm. bushes right from the very beginning. So um, why does he get out the vehicle? Is that just, is this just, uh, that would be intelligence check fail or mm-hmm. arcana check fail, perhaps even history <laughs> check fail, depending upon the town. There's a failed motherfucking roll for that one though. <laughs> oh, he, he, he failed all his rolls. Uh, all of the above. His charisma check roll almost passed. Yeah. But then it didn't, but it was, it didn't. No, quite. yeah, no, there was, there was a persa- persuasion fail as well. Yeah. Pers- for, um, uh, good old Rich was not doing well. Rich is played by Brian Scala, who is a bit actor in a bunch of stuff, very specifically called out here for being in the party of five, uh, (laughs) the terrible TV show that I refer to as a weird reference to your party's name. But then he also played one of the uh, Jared Padalecki's pals in Gilmore Girls, which was Padalecki's show before this one. Um, So this establishes that Supernatural and Gilmore Girls are in the same universe (laughs) because this is yet another (laughs) crossover. So, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of poor decision making here from the getting out of the car to investigate to, I know the window just broke, but I'm going to try and roll up the window and then, oh, let's establish for a fact that we know the keys are in the goddamn car because she has to turn them on to roll the window up Mm -hmm. before she gets out of the motherfucking car. Because look. The vehicle that can move faster than she could. We've all had flat (laughs) tires. A flat tire. is not a blown in. Two flat tires. Four (laughs) flat tires does not make a car an immovable object. Correct. (laughs) It is. 
you hear something squeak, squeaking out. And look, I went to high school in East Texas. I did a lot of motherfucking making out in my car in the woods, <laughs> in creepy places, under old bridges, behind the occasional old church, and every once in a while in the cemetery. And if you heard some weird noises, you left. You did not investigate. You did not second guess it. You heard some weird, sh- weird shit and moved to a secondary location. <laughs> which you already had planned. Yeah, yeah but there was, a, there was a circuit and you worked out which ones you were going to be at and which ones your friends were going to be at. Because you, did, you didn't ever want that overlap. You didn't want to get weird. <laughs> Drive the fuck away. Again, good throwback to the time that this was originally filmed was the flip phone that uh, Lori sees the uh, message from her dad from. So the hook man tied him up really quickly. I tell you, I say that. What? Yeah, he's got magical powers, bro. Yeah. We'll get into the hook man legend a little bit mm-hmm. when Sam and Dean actually start talking about the hook man. But it was a weird kind of upside down hanged man that I thought it was almost a reference to the tarot card hanged man, which is often depicted as upside down. But there is an element to the hook man legend that that's in fact alluding to, which I was kind of surprised. There's something about the hook man thing that bothered me. When I wrote it down. Like this guy is a, a, a vengeful spirit, but yet he makes these sounds in the woods that we can hear. Yeah. Like he does that all throughout the, the the thing. I'm like, what? What is going on? Yeah, there, there's definitely some weirdness to it in that he telegraphs that he's coming. <laughs> yes, he is not a stealth killer by any means. He is more a frighten, frighten you, and then pounce on you kind of deal. He wants you to be scared gets, a little bit. He gets one him. stealth move in there. I, uh, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we will. We, we, I know exactly <laughs> which one you're talking about. I know exactly. Which one. Right. We so we cut to Sam at a payphone. Oh, I remember payphones. Dean <laughs> makes fun of his half calf vanilla latte order and calls him Francis. Uh, we find out Sam was on the phone with someone who was checking the FBI's missing person data bank. Sam had even had him run the dad's plates. I uh, couldn't find him anything about the dad. Uh, Dean says dad probably doesn't want to be found and presents a laptop with the details of the case, specifically that the fact that the attacker was invisible is what has Dean interested. Sam poo-poos it, says it was nothing. Dean plays the dad card and they head out. Yes, that was entirely way too easy. There was no convincing on Dean's part. It was just like, dad might be there. Oh, okay. And that was all he needed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was... It was- I'll tell you, as a DM, occasionally you just want to hand the fucking players a goddamn quest and have them go on it, right? Like sometimes you just want the the super magical scientist that is their contact point to hand them a delivery run so they'll shut the fuck up and go do a side quest. So that's very, that felt like some lazy DMing. (laughs) Data bank? Did we ever use the phrase data bank? I ask our resident IT experts. Uh, Data bank? Not when I was. It's always been databases. Da- database, yeah. I don't, I don't know the FBI's missing person data bank. <laughs> Just seemed like all of a sudden uh, Sam was calling somebody in the 1930s or 40s, uh, specifically somebody in a sci-fi show from the 1930s or 40s. I imagine, I imagine a person that got into the data bank um, got in with a backslash hat keyword, and that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he got into it. Work, works every time. <laughs> backslash hack. Oh. So, Francis, do, does anybody know if that, here's your half calf vanilla latte, Francis, is a reference to anything? Because I tried to find it, and it's not. Sam's middle name, based off of the little research I did, was was is canonically perhaps William. It's definitely not Francis. I, it was just like, is this just more Dean, yuck, yuck, you're gay? Or is it, <laughs> is there, like, is that like a callback to something that I don't, that no, I'm not no, I think I think it's a hook, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
no, there is a fuck up in this one. Dean moves the laptop to show Sam to read about the case. The laptop is turned off mm-hmm. <laughs> while Sam appears to be reading about it. Like you can see that the, lamp, the, the laptop is offline, according to this. Um, Arkinney, Iowa, where they're headed to is in fact a real place, does seem to have its own slew of uh, weird urban legends. None of them are Hookman related. There's the Devil's Chair, which is a cement cast chair in a cemetery. There's a, uh, a black angel statue who is supposed to curse people a haunted cliff in a cemetery and a couple of haunted houses. I believe our, the real Arkenny is a, a suburb of Des Moines, which this one, this one is more of a fictionalized one, but interesting thing about the real Arkenny, or at least interesting for the point of filling in factoids for the podcast is notable people from the region include James Root and Chris Fenn, musicians in Slipknot, mm. which I am not a Slipknot fan, but there you go. Slipknot from the town that the fictional town that this episode takes place from as where they come from. So we get a little driving scene and the guys pull up to a dude eating a banana and working on his car with a screwdriver. Okay. It's actually three guys working on the car. One guy rolls out from underneath. The guys use the fact that they are fraternity bros as cover. They walk in on a guy who's painting himself blue or purple, depending upon whether you thought that dress was gold or blue, apparently, because he looked <laughs> blue as fuck to me. But the reference documents I looked at refer to him as Purple Man. Dean passes off to Sam to paint Murph. The bros ask Murph about what happened to Rich and find out about Lori. Murph gets super frat bro about her, describing her as hot and getting all that she's a preacher's daughter. And then the bros ask which church. Uh, what I got from this was, I think I we actually get an age on the female character. He explains to us that she is a freshman. No, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Which makes her 18 years old. 19, possibly. She's 19. She's 19. Okay. Yeah. No, so no, she, she, she states later that she is over 18. So. Okay. Well, there you go. She, she, yeah. Yeah, she claims she's an, an adult. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah, she's she says, 18. I'm over 18. I'm an adult. I can live wherever I want. Which means she's 19. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I was like, okay, this is. It's she very is, frat boy creepy. He's like, she's hot and freshman, young, preacher's daughter. I was like, oh, God, dude, God, it's two for two. But I've also, being in college, I've never met a sorority girl as a freshman in college. You have to be at least your second year, don't you? Yeah, you have to pledge during your freshman year. Yeah, you have to get the grade. So I'm sitting there like, they've already said she. Maybe maybe she's a legacy. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. I'm just, I'm fishing. We don't know. We don't nope. know. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting, man. That's, that is an interesting point. I, unlike Harland, are not as familiar uh, of the bylaws of most sororities. <laughs> and I think the real interesting trivia here is why the fuck does Harland know that? But moving on. It says on the door, Purple Man. Oh, okay. On his okay. bedroom door. Yeah, but he was blue, right? I'm not fucking just guessing that. No, no, you had the wrong color for the dress too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I gotta get. I gotta get my eyes checked after this thing because I just swore that it was blue. We cut to the church where a man who will turn out to be Lori's dad is giving the sermon. Lori turns around and gives Sam the eye, starting a really weird relationship that's going to happen throughout this episode. Lori's church exits. Lori's friend wants her to come and party. Lori says no because she's eating with her dad because it's Sunday. Sam uh, Sam sells himself as a transfer student and gives Lori her, her condolences and uses his dead girlfriend as an in. Preacher dad rolls up. Dean leads him off under the auspices of looking for a church group. And then Sam interviews Lori. 
Yeah, I didn't have much except for the making sure that her friend we get as much uh that she's a she's a party girl as much as we we possibly can get out of her because coming fresh out of out of church she talks about let's go underage drinking because we now know she's 19 years old right outside the cop 10 a.m. 10 a.m. on a Sunday <laughs> it was hang out with the girls watch a movie and take tequila shots which is a perfectly reasonable sunday evening activity <laughs> but the evening activity if it wasn't 10 o'clock in the morning probably anything when she was thinking about it <laughs> what i've got this is other than this is sam goes into his empathy voice and it's slightly less creepy than it's been in previous episodes <laughs> um which is again weird from when this was supposed to be but it is it's still creepy, but not as fucking creepy. He's getting it down. He's getting it down a little bit. The other thing, even though, and I'm pretty open about the fact that I'm pretty atheist, uh, I went, uh, have been both baptized Presbyterian and Episcopalian. I went to an Episcopalian school for a year. Uh, the green robes made me go, what the fuck is it with the green? What's with all the green robes? Which sent me down a whole liturgical color wormhole because apparently in the Catholic church, there are certain vestments that are worn during certain times and green is for Sundays and Farius in ordinary time, which is the time uh, as revised in 1969, which falls outside the two great seasons of Christmas tide and Easter tide and their respective preparatory seasons of Advent and Lent. So those are his ordinary time green robes, but does also establish him potentially as a Catholic. Violet is for Advent, Lent, Sacrament of the Sick, and a couple other sacraments. There's rose, white, red, and black. We won't get into all of them here, but I had no idea that there you could color code Catholic priests. Yes. A couple of things. One, why did they close the door so loud? <laughs> it's completely unnecessary. <laughs> That's why Dean looked like, like, wait a minute, come on, man. Like during during a funeral, just you're just gonna let the door slam. <laughs> Stealth check fail. Well, it wasn't a funeral. This is the Sunday after. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Where yeah, where the where just preacher dad is capitalizing on the boy who he might have known was dating his daughter's death to make a point about the church. <laughs> so Mm-hmm. I don't know how tacky that is. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a, a stealth fail. And it's interesting to see uh, Bulldog from Frasier as a priest. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's the other thing I need to hit on. Yes, the preacher uh, Sorensen is played by Dun- Dan Butler, none other than Bulldog from Frasier in a rare dramatic role. <laughs> Bulldog's the man. <laughs> absolutely. He also plays Mr. Summer in Hey Arnold, which is a Nickelodeon cartoon I have not watched. Yeah. But apparently, he's a, a voice on that. So, yeah, he uh, is in this, and that's it for him. He doesn't pop up in Supernatural. I've, I've had him pegged for being a recurring background character on Supernatural, but he does not pop up again. But, yeah, and he's been in a ton of other stuff, but, yes, most famously Bulldog from Frasier. <laughs> we cut to the library where we will get possibly the most accomplished background character of this episode, which I'll touch on in a second. When Dean is talking about Lori and says she's hot. They click on that this is the Hookman legend, and specifically that the hanging upside down is an element of it. They talk about how every urban legend has its source, so it's time to do some research. They get brought boxes of arrest records. We get a research time jump, and they discover that a preacher was arrested back in the past after a prostitute killing spree, and he used a hook that was the replacement for one of his hands, and Nine Mile Road, where the crime originally occurred, is established at the location of ancient prostitute-killing preach, preacher rampage. Yeah, um, at this point in time, 
Sam investigative skills are on point. Like, like they always are. His historic history checks or whatever, he passes them yeah. all the time. And not only does he pass them, he passes them with like crit 20s, like every single time. So I'm going to say this is an investigate check because it's not him just rem- like they're having to go through the records and find a correlating mm-hmm. piece of information. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, if it was just him calling on his knowledge of it, it's like that no okay. making the hookman connection history check, finding the records investigate check are the two that I'm going to go. All right. So uh, real quick, the uh, she is credited here at just as cute librarian and she will pop up in another supernatural episode where she's only credited as Bobby's mom, but she, it's uh, Chela Horsdahl. I'll probably say that wrong, but she plays everybody's favorite Nazi mom in The Man in the High Castle. She's a major character in that. She is in Firefly Lane. She plays a bit character in Stargate SG-1 as a technician who works with one of the Asgard for a little bit, but most critically, maintaining our streak seven episodes deep, she is an L-Word alumni. (laughs) (laughs) So we are seven for seven, baby, on the Supernatural L-Word alum roll. And this lady is, again, uh, been in just a ton of stuff, but uh, most importantly, Man in High Castle, she plays, she does great in that, although playing a fucking horrific character. She's in Firefly Lane, which is a new comedy that I haven't watched on Netflix. The only reason why I know about it is because the gal who played on Scrubs, and as you guys have heard me talk about the Scrubs (laughs) Rewatch podcast a couple of times, the gal who's a a voice on Rick and Morty is in Firefly Lane with Sheila Horsdahl. But yeah, both times she's on Supernatural, she only gets Cute Librarian and Bobby's Mom are her two credits. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the Hook Band legend real quick. The, the first thing I asked, because they talked about the Hook Man hanging upside, the person hanging upside down being a component of the Hook Man legend made me go, mm, is it? Because every Hook Man legend I've heard, or the elements of it that I heard, was the escaped convict, people making out, the drive away when they hear somebody rattling at the car and there's a hook hanging from the door. Like, that's the traditional one that I've heard. But we are going to the great resource that is Wikipedia. Alternate versions has, when the woman gets out of the car, she sees the mental patient sitting on the roof, banging the man's severed head on top of it. And another variation has the woman seeing the man's butchered body suspended upside down from a tree with his fingernails scraping against the roof, which is the part that they actually use Mm -hmm. for this episode. Because there's that weird scraping noise on the roof at one point. Mm -hmm. And that's meant to be Rich's fingernails as he swings back and forth above the car. Other versions of it have the man returning to the car to see and finding the woman murdered with a hook embedded in her. Other tales has the woman running away, being discovered by the police, and while being escorted to safety, she's warned not to look behind her, and when she does, she sees the grisly aftermath of the man's murder. And this actually throws back to the the scene earlier. If you're going to get out of the car and run away, you don't stop and look back. Learn from Orpheus. Learn from every mythological and horror reference you could ever encounter. Don't fucking look back. You run. You run if you're going to (laughs) run. And she she clearly didn't read her Bible either. So nope. nope. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, Abraham's, that's right. Uh, 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 Lot's wife. Lot, I mean, right Lot's in the pillar of salt. Yep. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, there's a number of mythological references where looking back, a bad thing also screws up your pacing while you're running. Definitely <laughs> screws up your pacing while you're running. I will, I will say to that. So another weird factoid about the Hookman legend actually appeared in Dear Abby on November 8th, 1960. Somebody wrote in acting like they were telling the Hookman legend from a first perspective to Dear Abby, a woman named Jeanette wrote in and it got printed. It's been around for a really long time. Nobody's sure the exact 
exact origins, but it's expected to have begun to circulate sometime in the 1950s, which I am sure isn't coincidental around the same time where more teenagers started making out in cars, <laughs> which is a big component of the of the legend. When Sam does find the Hookman note, Dean goes, good job, Dr. Venkman, for finding the note. Venkman's the science guy, Ray's kind of the history, history legend guy. So I really wish he'd been like, good job, Ray for your Ghostbusters reference, but I, I appreciate any Ghostbusters reference. Peter Vakeman is, is, is the cooler one. So if you're going to be a Ghostbuster. Oh, I'm thinking Egon. You're, you're right. thinking Egon. Yeah, that's way off then. Yes. Fucking A. Vakeman's not looking up shit, dude. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now I have a problem with it. Like if you would have said, good job, Egon, I'd allow it. Good job, Ray. Spot on. I would have been confused by the good job, Winston. Uh, but Vakeman is just completely fucking wrong, man. Mm-hmm. All right. So we cut to Lori and her dad talking about him being an empty nester and they get an argument. Dad gives her a hard time about living in the sorority and partying. She says, no, I'm a big girl. I'm 18. This is where we get that age establishment. She gets out of the car, heads back into the sorority. She hears scraping. And honest to God, I only know that she hears scraping because that's what came up on the closed captioning. I didn't hear it, but (laughs) closed captioning said, heard scraping, so I'm going with it. She sees a line gouged into the wall, which leads to a girl studying a book called Documents and Descriptions. And then she goes to her room. We see that her friend is asleep. She says, hey, are you asleep? She is. Goes to bed. That part is like, you know there's someone out there with a hook. You see that. You know that that that, that wall wasn't cut up this, the, earlier in the day. Come on now. Right. <laughs> you know what's, you know what's going it's a, on. It's a, it's a frat house. Maybe, you know. Yeah. You're just like, y'all got wild and crazy. And is this is this the Sunday? Because she sleep early for a person who's going to party and drink. Yeah, is, 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 is this still That's Sunday? That's what I thought too. I was like, well, man, what the like? How early were those tequila shots? Because <laughs> she's out, and like she stopped. It was just such a weird. Like she sees the scrape, she stops. We get shot of ultra normal girl being ultra normal, and even Lori's like, mm-hmm. like it's, that was a weird cut, and then goes back into her room and goes to bed, and seems weirdly pleased that her friend has passed out. It's a little bit weird, but we're, we'll be back to that bedroom for a little <laughs> bit more action in a minute. We cut to the bros inspecting the scene of the crime. Rock salt shotguns make their appearance yep. and we get the <laughs> establishment of salt in the ghost lore as a spirit deterrent. Dean talks about his dad coming up with it, not having to be having gone to college to be a genius. And then the guys hear somebody creeping up. They get ready to shoot and a cop rolls out, pulls a gun on the guys and gets them down to the ground. Yeah, which is the part where I'm like, broad daylight, they pretty much hear footprints in the woods and they think it's this vengeful spirit. They, I'm like, when do these vengeful spirits start making so much noise in the woods? It scrapes a hook. Yeah, he he's super noisy. Like, like <laughs> ghosts aren't all naturally stealthy. Some of them are noisy assholes. Like poltergeists specifically are known for being noisy assholes. Uh, and this, the fake out for this is set up by the opening shot because you get the little wood jostle at the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, that salt as a barrier for ghosts, and then the rock-sot salt guns are a staple, a mainstay of supernatural, and a really cool, a really cool element. And like, like I said earlier, like I may have mentioned it, I've watched all of super, not all of super. Supernatural. Yeah. I've watched most of Supernatural. I'm a fan of it. And in this episode, I didn't remember. And now that I, I figured that they created the salt shotgun shells. Yeah. All the hunters use it. When did they tell all the other hunters that this is this works against I mean, word spreads fast. Yeah. Well, later in the I don't know if it's this season that the Roadhouse shows up or it's seasons two or three, but once the Roadhouse is established, you do get a network yeah. being established for the hunters. Yeah. 
Plus, honestly, dude, look, man. They didn't invent it. They, he's taking credit. He's taking credit for it, but they didn't invent it. A lot of rednecks are hunters. <laughs> like a lot of hunters come across as rednecks. Rednecks shooting ghosts with rock salt ain't that far off from rednecks <laughs> shooting everything else with rock salt. You know, <laughs> I grew up on a fucking cattle ranch. Trust me. I know. <laughs> All right. Just, I speak from experience on this. We shot some shit with rock salt back in the day. <clears throat> so Dean busts out with the spotlight on the Impala. It is the first and only time the Impala spotlight will be used during the show, and it actually gets removed in season three. I had no idea that Impalas were used even re- up till recently as police as vehicles. Police? Oh, yeah. No. I had yeah, no, no idea they, they were cop cars. They yeah. definitely were. Yeah. Almost up until they started using chargers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, very recently they were releasing cop uh, cop no. versions of the Impala. Yeah, no, no. The cop, the when they redid the Impala with the new style, it became it was a definitely a cop car with the even the new body style. Yeah, with the circle with the round lights in the back. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so this is the one time they bust that out, and then it's never seen again, which is kind of weird. And it's so much for it, they actually take it off the car in season three. And kind of ironic that they use the cop light and they get busted by cops. Busted by the cops. So <laughs> definitely a, a touch of irony there. Definitely <laughs> some perception fails on the guys uh, and yeah. some stealth success on the cops, man, who bring them <laughs> out and take them to the ground. Uh, that sheriff is played by... Alf Humphreys, who has just got an incredibly long resume as a working actor, where you probably the only place I recognized him from is he's Iceman's dad in X-Men 2. <laughs> Dude, he's done so many bits, parts, and, and like X-Files, like everywhere. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He's recognizable when you look at his IMDb page. Gave me a little bit of Otis from Superman vibes, a little bit just from the way they looked, but are we giving Banana Dude a pass? With the, I, I'm still I'm fucking, I could not figure out what the deal was with Banana Dude working on the car. I see we, we skipped right over that because that's a choice as a prop <laughs> to give frat bro who doesn't i don't think even has a single maybe he's got like a small line but it's like all right man you know what here's how we'll establish these guys are bros we're gonna have him eating a banana when he's working on that car <laughs> that's we'll establish he, he's his now that's true he's got his potassium, potassium. that much so sorry i hate to, hate to do a call back to several scenes but the banana boy stuck with me i fucking freaked me out uh, more so than than purple man on the them getting arrested, I love how uh, Dean completely throws Sam under the bus. He's the one that got the gun. That is the Todd. He's right over there. <laughs> and the cop takes them down, too. They don't get the normal pass that they get. Uh, we cut back to Lori in her room. Her friend is still asleep. We pan to Hookman hiding behind the door, really just standing behind the door. Clearly a Lori perception fail there. Because <laughs> that was not a hardcore hiding job for a motherfucker who could be invisible. That is some, I can't see you. You can't see me. Shit. <laughs> Lori wakes up here dripping. Again, I only know this because of the motherfucking subtitles, but eventually we pull down and see a blood pool and we discover her friend has been killed. And aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light being scratched into the wall? Okay. Now at this point, this man is notorious for being the loudest vengeful spirit i've ever heard because he's making footsteps he's he's giving himself away you're telling me she didn't fall she didn't wake up one time wow this man murdered her friend on the side and then scraped a whole paragraph into the wall i believe i said perception fail (laughs) perception fail she failed the perception check noticing him but then she then she went temporarily deaf <laughs> that is, yeah, that, that's nat one that's that, that is some serious nat one he wrote a whole paragraph 
He wrote a whole paragraph. A crit sleep roll. <laughs> <laughs> I use my full action to sleep. Fate, fate, she, she pissed fade off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah, there was fate. You didn't see fate sliding out of the room earlier. We cut to Sam and Dean walking out of the police station. Dean bragging about getting him off as playing the whole thing up as being a hazing ritual and that Sam was a dumbass who was being told that he could go hunt ghosts. Here, the rock salt actually comes in as a cover for them. The cops go tearing out. The guys follow. We, we see Lori in an ambulance. As the bros roll by, dad is pushing the cops to release her, and then she leaves with her dad. There is no place on this planet where she's not at least detained to- to the precinct. The the she's she's the only two she's the only witness at two murders. Look, man. There's no way in this world that she's not detained for longer than five minutes. All right. Not not to be cynical, but daughter of a preacher, white girl, Iowa, I'm pretty sure she's going home. Dude. It's, <laughs> I, I mean she's the only she's the only witness in two murders. Like proximity yeah. to the, like, no, like there's no she way. is <laughs> uh, not not inappropriately, clearly should be considered a suspect. <laughs> And the creeper stares at Sam and Dean as they roll by. They're like the serious Google eyes that they're given. It was like, oh, fellas, that is anybody who saw them drive by goes, oh, there goes the kid. <laughs> Don't you fuckers. <laughs> Look at the motherfuckers doing the serial killer lean in the car as they drive by at the girl. Luckily, everybody was looking at Lori. You know, the sheriff does at least say, hey, look, man, I got to fucking talk to her. And <laughs> preacher dad goes. But I'm a preacher, and she's white, and this is Iowa, and the sheriff goes, you're right, just make sure she doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> no, she lets them go home. They have no witnesses. They have they have nothing on this murder. Are they even trying to find the murder at this point in time? Well, you know, get, given the first one would have been very difficult for her to do. I, I, I could see some sense there of like, yeah. how the hell did you get him up there? Right. And with no blood on you. Right. But you know something. <laughs> All right. You yeah, have, I, I, I'm not believing your story. No. Of, of a ghost. <laughs> I'm not believing that. Yeah. Invisible killer. Yeah. No, she, she definitely has come across as a little kooky duke by, by most standards. And her actions later will, will justify that. The boys pull up and park and sneak into the crime scene. They park next to a hydrant, pin in that. I'll be back on that in a minute because it's definitely a case of Supernatural making me write down a note to make me pay for that note, but then I get to follow it up with a third note later. Stick a pin in it. So they talk about why the ghost may have shown up there and they, they drop that he may be hunting something else or someone else. Uh, Dean's all about the sorority girls and talk about talks about naked pillow, pillow fights, fights because, <laughs> because Dean is an 80s movie uh, and it turns out that's actually a reference to Animal House because apparently the Bluto, Jim Belushi's character, sees sorority girls having naked pillow fights. I thought it was just Dean being 80s Dean, but that's an actual reference, which again, I totally would get Animal House being Dean's only <laughs> reference for the what college life. <laughs> yes, yes. That actually been, ends up being a really appropriate characterization. They sneak into the building and just happen to climb up exactly the right spot to go into the closet of the murder scene, which I thought was a little bit of a stretch. They inspect the crime scene, signpost the words about being part of the Hookman legend, comment that they smelled ozone, that they were there, and it's key to it being a spirit. Oh, this is the strongest I've ever smelled ozone. Sam spots a symbol on the wall, and which they link to the Hookman through mm-hmm. a copy of the Hookman's paper that Sam apparently made. Like, Gene busts out like a photo copy i was like whoa wait that you just that looked just like that, that. just that's very conveniently the exact page you would have needed to photocopied out of the book 
They establish that the hookman is to rest in the cemetery in an unmarked grave, and Dean thinks Laurie is a key facet of the of the haunting. Right. So, yeah, the old salt and burn—the thing that should always work, never works. That never works. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, well, I'll tell you what. It works when they don't want the ghost story to be the main plot of it. When they're like, okay, we're supernatural. We got to have a ghost and kill him off. That's done. Let's go to the B plot, which is really secretly the A plot for this episode. Because we want to. If they're ever salting the bones 25 minutes into the show, it's never going to work. There are instances where they legitimately have the ghost story and the ghost story isn't the main thing they want to focus on. They're like, okay, we're going to do this little ghost story. And then we're going to hang out for 40 minutes talking about, you know, a, the a clone or a relationship or mm-hmm. like an angel or we're skipping ahead. Yeah. That's the only time it's successful early in the episode. Yes. This is also the first episode that establishes the exception to the rule, mind you, <laughs> explicitly. So let's talk a little bit about Chekhov's motherfucking hydrant because- Wait, I wanted to talk about- oh, We could talk about the hydrant. Yeah, let me get that guy. So Dean parks next to a hydrant, enough for me to go, well, they're parking next to a hydrant. That's dumb. And then (laughs) he comes back. There is a ticket on his car, which he takes, looks at, and then throws away. And that never fucking comes up again in this episode or ever. And it's like, what the fuck was the point of that? Other than maybe somebody going, hey, guys, we parked next to this hydrant. Oh, cool. We'll just have Dean throw. Like, I just, I, I cannot wrap my head around what the need for that sequence rule was. breaker, yeah. sir. He's a rule breaker. Oh, is that it? He's, he's, the, he's, ba- he's, a, he's rebel. the bad boy. He's a, he's rebel. a scofflaw. He's, okay. <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> what do you got? A cop pulled up and didn't know they were filming and actually gave them a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> See, I want to believe that. That's a cool fucking factoid that. You know, I really should be watching these on DVD to get like the bonus behind the scenes shit and probably see, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, I'm going to buy some goddamn Supernatural DVDs. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> what do you got? You, you had something for this, Harland? Okay. So Dean, uh, Sam actually needs help getting hoisted into that second floor, um, <laughs> that second floor window. <laughs> When he turns around, <laughs> Dean is right there, <laughs> who is probably a good six inches shorter than, than, than Sam is. He athletic check pass. Yeah, definitely, definitely athletic check fail, followed by athletic check. Oh, right, right. Help action. Yeah. So that Sam can uh, do, have an athletic check path for Dean to turn around and do athletic check pass. I don't think it takes a whole lot uh, uh, to say Dean is definitely the more badass. Of the two, <laughs> from a skill perspective, throughout the entire show. And there's going to be a lot of other elements that come in. Well, Jazz isn't here, so we can talk about all the other supernatural magical powers and shit the guys get over the scope of the series. Dean still, hands down, is the more physically capable of the two, despite like, <laughs> Padalecki being like a foot and a half taller than him. Dean, yes, Dean does knock people out with one punch, and uh, Sam takes a brunt of the physical uh, ab- abuse from other, from demons, from everything. Oh, yeah. Talk in his ass whooped. That's, that's what yeah. <laughs> yes, he's younger, of course. He, he ha- they have to let that know that the younger brother has to. Look- and he's the fucking worst. He is the fucking worst. <laughs> S- sent by an older brother. 
I'm the middle <laughs> child. So I, yeah, I, I got an older and a younger. I've been on both ends of that. And we're far enough apart. Like my older brother is like seven years. My younger brother is like seven years. I have lived every dimension of that, really, uh, including being the middle child. So we cut to a frat party. Dean is so fucking stoked about it. And Sam says this wasn't his experience because of course it wasn't because Sam is the motherfucking worst. <laughs> Sam produces more articles about priests getting erected. Uh, 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 ooh, erected. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did establish it was a Catholic diocese about priests getting arrested for hookman-like killings and claiming that they were innocent, but an invisible killer took part of it. So I'm going to let you know, I may have to listen to this episode to make sure that does not get cut out. <laughs> <laughs> oh no i'm not fucking cutting that out dude that's too funny not to yeah yo, definitely do that yeah do that. <laughs> the erected priests absolutely sticking in <laughs> that's funny uh, the erected priests absolutely sticking in also staying in <laughs> that is a one-two punch of weird shit so sam links the ghost to reverend Sorensen and says that poltergeist can haunt a person not just a place Sam goes to keep an eye on Lori and Dean begrudgingly says that he'll go look for an unmarked grave. Why were they at the frat house? That could, that scene could just for the line that Sam just doesn't, doesn't, this was his experience. They, they don't mention it. They go to a frat party. They don't talk to anybody. Yeah. That's where they're staying, but there was really no reason to go back there because it's not like that's where their car was or that's where their shit was at. I mean, they established that's where they're staying while they're in town by as the scene had absolutely no, and there's a part in that scene where a dude bumps into Sam yeah. and just stares Sam down for a good 20 seconds. I'm like, what is this? What does this have to do with anything? It, the, the whole scene made no sense because it was just the. It could have happened in the library, just the same. No, it 100, especially since they go back to the fucking library later. <laughs> but this scene is 100 there for Dean to be like, I want to fuck some college girls. Yeah, <laughs> and Sam to be like, well, I didn't fuck any college girls. Well, one, <laughs> and for Dean to go. Very Todd the Tiefling style. Nerd. <laughs> That's the scene. This is a Todd the Tiefling motherfucking scene, dude. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that could be Todd and fate in this scene pretty much. Listen, when I was watching this, I was like, yeah, I, I can, I'd see Todd as a, as a Dean character. <laughs> he kicks doors in. He, he's, he, I'm not thinking at all. I'm just action. Like, yeah. <laughs> so one thing I want to touch on real quick um, uh, before we get too far away from it is the, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light piece? And the fact that they say that it's part of the Hookman legend. It is in fact not part of the Hookman legend. <laughs> it is a completely separate urban legend where a girl at college was studying late when back to her dorm room to get some books or some notes so she wouldn't disturb her roommate. She didn't turn on the lights. She got her stuff from her desk. Later, when she did go back to the room, she found out her roommate was dead with a note written in lipstick in the mirror or blood on the wall about, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? Which, completely separate college urban legend. But in, in looking that up, I discovered there's a more fucked up version of that urban legend that I haven't ever heard before where young lady is alone in her apartment. She goes to bed with her dog on the floor beside her. In the middle of the night, she's woken up by a strange sound. She She's alarmed, reaches for the dog who licks her hand. She's reassured and goes back to sleep. In the morning, she finds the dog dead, hung in the shower. And where the dog slept, she finds a note that says humans can lick too. Which is way more fucked up. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, 
fuck that, man. That gave me the creeps. Just, <laughs> uh, just that, that you know, look. Ow. Yeah. So, so not a part. And thank you for fucking that nightmare <laughs> OCD that I had to go prove whether or not they were right or wrong about an urban legend in a 15 year old fucking horror action show. So we cut to Dean in the cemetery with his shovel. He's marching around. He hears rustling. He finds a headstone with the hookman symbol, which, okay, it's a marked unmarked grave. That's exactly <laughs> what I had written down also. <laughs> and then we see Sam on the street and she sees Lori and his dad arguing. We cut to Dean digging in the grave. He opens up the coffin. Lori comes out and, and calls out Sam. He says he was watching because he was worried about her. Lori's totally okay with weird dude she just met stalking her, calls him sweet and says she is cursed. Sam empathizes with her, and then we get the old salt and burn from Dean. What did Dean think he was going to do with the unmarked grave? Like, if if it is truly an unmarked grave, right? What was he going to find? And does un does unmarked mean not named? Because I assumed it was just a t empty t empty headstone. Unmarked grave, according to our pal Wikipedia, is a one that lacks a marker, headstone, or nameplate indicating that a body is buried there. Oh, then that's not even an unmarked. It's not even an unmarked grave. Yeah. So, with, <laughs> with no, but a nameplate indicating that a body is buried there. But none of the, none of that that indicates a body. We know that the body's buried there due to the headstone, so it's not unmarked. Yeah. Well, but but I would argue that it it can't be because they say nameplate. But that's just because instead of a headstone, sometimes you have that that little plate on the ground. Yeah. No, but looking at pictures of unmarked grave, one of them is just a white headstone with nothing written on it. Okay. Right. So that's, so yes, there's somebody buried here, but it's not marked to indicate who was buried there. Is this part where he is supposed to be tailing Lori and she still sees him? Like it's the worst stealth check I've ever seen in my, <laughs> that, that's the, I couldn't remember which one it was. We'll hit all, all on that the next scene. Couldn't remember which one that was, if that was this one. Again, this is another weird shit that doesn't pay off in this episode, much like the like the traffic ticket. When he's walking through that cemetery, he hears shit rustling. He stops. Nothing fucking happens in the cemetery. <laughs> it's like I was expecting drunken frat boys. I was expecting sheriff round two, maybe a fucking ghost or something. Nothing. Just boom, stop, perception roll, hey, we move on down the road. We got to prepare you for the jump scare. I, well, yeah, but there's no, there's no payoff. This is our first official salt and burn. I've always been very curious exactly how flammable old bones are because they go up like a fucking torch in this series. He always has to pour that lighter fluid that looks like he's peeing on the body. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and there is the weird flash of the, where uh, hold up the salt for the camera, hold up the lighter <laughs> fluid for the camera so everybody knows this is what I'm doing. And then we'll move on down the road. It doesn't have the, I don't think he busts out the Zippo because there is that very satisfying Zippo shing on a lot of these scenes. Like yes. So we, we cut to Lori being sad to Sam because people won't talk to her anymore and she's a suspect. Turns out dad is having an affair with a married woman and Lori's pissed that he's been preaching at her. Lori says that she's been taught if you do something wrong, you get punished. Dun, dun, dun. Lori then makes a move on Sam and Sam pulls back. Dad comes out and tells her he, she needs to come in. Lori fires back at him. Hookman warps in, total scorpion style, <laughs> and ganks the dad. Sam jumps in. We hear the dad yell. Sam bursts in and then rock salts the hookman before he can finish the dad. Yeah, that part was actually excellent. The, that was the yeah. stealth check that the that that is <laughs> that, that is definitely some fucking scorpion teleport fucking uh, throw action there. I, all right, I'm gonna say this right now because I know she's a victim. Is how Lori's a horrible motherfucking person. <laughs> all right, let's just straight up. 
and get this out there because number one, she fucking is bemoaning like, oh, nobody will talk to me. My dick got killed and my roommate's dead. <laughs> Whoa, like, bitch, for real, poor living girl. Her <laughs> friends are dead and nobody will talk to her. And the stupid the police think I'm a suspect, but they didn't arrest me. Let me, let me go. It's like, Jesus Christ. Then she full on makes the move on Sam. Like, she <laughs> yes. is leaning in. And Sam fucking, because Sam is a fucking wet blanket, pulls pulls back. I mean, don't worry, it's the right thing to do in this particular circumstance. <laughs> but, but it's not the Dean no, thing. No, it's not the do. Dean thing to do. And it still made me go, I'm like, God damn it, I agree with this move, but Sam is still the fucking worst. <laughs> My note here is is legitimately just, damn, girl, for real? Like, that's the note I have on this whole fucking exchange with Lori. And then, yeah, that is some slick hook man hooking. I mean, she's got the she's got the whole yeah, yeah, piss no. off daddy thing going. I think I feel like yeah, you know she's she's mad at dad. I'm gonna go bang random dude that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out out on the street. Which you know, look, man, in front of the house, <laughs> in front of the house, the dude I met 24 hours ago in the midst of a murder spree that surrounds me. That I've seen was clearly that I've me. seen drive by with crazy <laughs> eyes at the last time scene. Now shows up unannounced me. from I, in front of my house that I see out the window. Stealth check fail, Sam. Thanks for sitting yeah. on the curb <laughs> in front of a fucking window, uh, which Harlan pointed out earlier. And then she comes out like, "Hey, man, I like I like what you're yeah. doing here." Look, she's a fucking da horrible person. That's gonna be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> but daddy, especially that hook in his shoulder <laughs> dad is stooping one of his parishioners a, re a wrecked priest <laughs> is handing it to one of his parishioners who brings her husband to church on sunday which i might say is very bulldog <laughs> that is very bulldog it is, it is very bulldog uh, <laughs> When Sam shoots the hook man with the sh rock salt shotgun, it literally blows a chunk out of him, Looney Tunes style. <laughs> Later on in the series, as they got a little bit more budgets, the ghosts just poof away when they get hit with salt or iron. But here it's total, like Daffy Duck got hit with a blast <laughs> of a shotgun. Like, oh, I put my bill back, got to spin my hook back around, and I'll teleport away. But it, it rarely stops the ghost from achieving its goal. No, it's, it's always it's, meant as a temporary defense, right? Like, but in this case... He doesn't kill the dead. Yeah. It literally stops the ghost like, oh, you got me and I'll walk away. No, no, it disperses them for a little bit, but they, they all eventually come back later. You know, there is, and we'll get into this into the next scene. I think there's, again, kind of a plot element to that because Lori is super freaked the fuck out that something bad happened to her dad, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that relieves some of her, that pulls her it. feelings yeah. that he needs to be punished because now he actually has been punished and, you know, we cut to... The hospital and Sam's giving a report to the sheriff. Yeah, again, creeper voice, slightly less creepy. The sheriff is suspicious. Dean rolls up. We find out that the hookman is still up despite the bone burning. Sam pegs Lori as the person that the spirit is linked to, and that the whole line about people should be punished lines up with the spirit showing up and acting on her repressed feelings, which she ain't repressing some of those feelings. <laughs> Sam asks if the hook was burned after giving, you must have missed something. And Dean's like, what the fuck? I didn't miss anything. Did you burn the hook? Oh, shit. Like, it's just a, such a weird, oh, the hook. Uh, the bros grok that the hook is the source of power. So the one note I have on this is Dean does a pretty good jo clueless Joey face while he's waving from behind the cops. <laughs> like, ah, just a weird. I, just, I went, oh, fuck. He looks like Joey from Friends. I like Sam's I'm uh, the victim uh, kind of little speech. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it was, 
it was uh, a hook guy or a guy with a hook and we shot him and he ran away like and he did the glassy eye like he was almost about to cry like he did he did good <laughs> the boys definitely pull off some cop persuasion in this across the board from getting out of the precinct to three or four times they they succeed on their persuasion with the cops the cops must be dumb because they're whatever their the dc is it's really low for yeah. them because everything they got is, no they, insight is they got no insight <laughs> Yeah, everything everything Dean says is gold to them. <laughs> the only two people who've been around the killer, one of them who's been around the killer three times, <laughs> and they're yes. they're just walking free. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. What you say makes sense. I'm just gonna go ahead and nod and move away. <laughs> well, at least she's eyewitness that she didn't do this one. Yeah, exactly. He's 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 vouching for her, uh, and Dad's pretty fucked up for taking a hook in the shoulder. That he's like in ICU with a respirator on. <laughs> so we're now we're back at the, the library. The guys find out the hook was sent from the prison to the church. The church records then say the hook was melted down and forged into something else, which clues them that now they got to go to the church because this is a separate scene. I didn't break it out. There's a real inconsistency here with that hook being melted down to be forged into something else and how they ultimately resolve the issue by melting the shit down again. It's like, well, no, wait a minute here. Is it because it was reforged or the first time the burning just didn't count? Like I didn't, you know, that I was like, mm. it had maybe salt, maybe it would lack salt in the, in the, in the, the new, the new one, the new yeah, uh, yeah, the, the <laughs> furnace that Dean salts off camera in the. Uh, it was a church furnace. Maybe the church furnace made a big difference. But you know what? It was reforged by the church. It's a fucking pothole, especially when that when you because this is what I thought when they show the picture of the hook hanging from the hook is a little medallion with mm -hmm. the symbol on it, right? That's what the guys yes. draw on it. That medallion could have very well fucking have been the item mm -hmm. that didn't get melted down that Lori was carrying around. Because, I mean, she's mm -hmm. ultimately carrying a necklace that's made out of the melted down silver hook. All they would have had to do is say, oh yeah, that's a representation of X kind of cross, which has always been important to this diocese. It was a church heirloom and that's why I wear it. And then boom, no plot hole. But because it, it had to get melted down and reforged, plot hole. There's no plot hole. He, he, he does salt the fireplace. Oh, he does? Motherfuck. All right. Yeah, when they when they first when they first get there, he salts the fireplace and he's just throwing everything into the fireplace. He's just burning all kinds of shit in the fireplace. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. I thought he just salted the fireplace. My bad. Then they 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 set me up for that one with that other shit that they didn't pay off on. The problem that, that I tell me had. that medallion dangling from the hook thing wouldn't have made a fucking better better uh, better piece for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They definitely should have just done that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I noticed her chain earlier in the oh, episode yeah. and knew that that's what it was. Because guess what? I was looking at her chest. She had impeccable breasts. <laughs> why wouldn't okay, Dean? Why wouldn't Dean? <laughs> Dean definitely should have known that. This man has been looking at sorority girls the entire episode. You trying to tell me he didn't notice that? You trying to tell me he didn't notice that? I don't believe <laughs> All right. that. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Brought it back around to Dean. The guys roll up to the church with the plan to melt all the, melts all the silver in the church. The guys split up. Dean fires up the furnace and apparently salts it, which I didn't catch, and starts melting things. Sam comes in with a bag of loot. The floor creaks. The guys roll upstairs and see Lori praying. Dean sends Sam in to comfort her. Lori questions why Sam is there and then tells him that she's praying for forgiveness because this is all her fault and thinks an avenging angel is punishing people that she thinks is guilty, starts to lay on the self-guilt, which the hookman vapes in. 
She doubles down on her guilt, so the Hookman goes after her. We get some Hookman noise, because as Harlan has pointed out, noisiest ghost ever, and the <laughs> candles go out. But yeah, okay, the salting the furnace. I totally fucking missed that the first time around. Yeah, I did too. I, I noticed it on as I'm watching it now. <laughs> but that's why like that's why I said I thought that's what he, he definitely salted the furnace with. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought you were joking when you said it. I thought you were just saying I thought you were just saying it like as bullshit. <laughs> I heard you say it. <laughs> I, fl- I flat out fucking missed it. <laughs> when they hear the floor creak and the little dust drips down, like, man, that was some classic movie floor creak and dust drop <laughs> on that because it is just the perfect, oh shit, somebody's upstairs mm-hmm. moment. Sam gets spooked, takes, starts to take her out. Hookman clobbers the door. We get a chase scene with a lot of hooking. Sam gets slashed. Lori gets dragged. Sam gets the hook uppercut. Dean salt blasts the ghosts. They figure something silver was missed. Sam spots Lori's chain. The scrape starts coming down the hall. The guys swap necklace and gun in a incredibly awkward toss. Sam blasts the scrape that's going through the ceiling and then starts these one-handed slow reload. And then Dean throws the chain in the fire and Hookman melts and then burns away. Yeah, um, I've uh, never seen silver melt so fast in my life. It was instant. It was instant when... (laughs) Dude, I, I I will say like a little sil- like a little silver cross like that in a in a furnace that's stoked up like that will go quick. You know what I mean? Like it it will melt pretty fast. All right, I'll, I'm taking your word. But you're the you're the blacksmith. You're the one with real blacksmith experience, <laughs> and you could actually test put that to the test. So I don't have a kill. That'll be that I'll be smelting. <laughs> <laughs> so Hookman was actually played by two actors in this. One was Sean Millington who plays a background character in a bunch of the Stargates, and then played Black Caesar on Legends of Tomorrow, the famous pirate. Uh, and then a guy named Benjamin Rogers, Anthony J. Sacco, plays Hookman. He's not credited for him. He plays Hookman in the, the last bit when he's getting burned away. And this dude has, and the only reason why I mention him, he's got uh, the longest list of uncredited acting credits on IMDb <laughs> that I've ever seen. And it's because he's done a stuntman. He did stunts on 88 episodes of Charmed from 99 to 2006. He does some supernatural stunt work. He's been a zombie, an uncredited zombie in The Walking Dead across seven years of the series, 18 episodes as a zombie. He's upscale funeral goer, uncredited in Captain America Civil War. He's flight passenger, uncredited in Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Thug number three, uncredited in Deadpool. Additional voices, uncredited in Hotel Transylvania 2. Jurassic World, park goer, uncredited. Wait, 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 wait. You just say in Hotel Transylvania, the cartoon, the animated one? The animated cartoon, yeah. <laughs> He's uncredited yeah. with a voice acting? Yes. <laughs> yes. Man, Man of Steel. And I'm only hitting on the sci-fi fantasy genre stuff right now. Grim, the TV series, wedding guest, uncredited. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I take it back. Credited for that one. Man of Steel, pedestrian, uncredited. Oz the Great and Powerful, Emerald City Resident, uncredited. Dark Knight Rises, thug, uncredited. The Amazing Spider-Man, pedestrian, uncredited. Wonder Woman, street guy, uncredited. Thor, townie, uncredited. Iron Man 2, expo guest. I'm going to tell you something. Uncredited. I'm going to tell you what it is. Because, all right, so I guess my sister Mm. is an actress. She is credited in IMDb. Yeah. And I've got a friend who directs and stuff like that, also in IMDb. Uh, Your agent, or you can put yourself on imdb right yeah my guess is this man works for 
a hiring firm, a casting agency. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he's putting himself in these movies and then putting them on IMDb as all of this stuff. Now, the stunt work is different, but the the walking is, as person walking, I'm thinking that he's doing it himself. We're going to have to do some research on that because, again, the depth of this, is, and I'm not hitting even on everything. Big Lebowski, Cook, uncredited. Star Trek for The Voyage Home, Cop, uncredited. I, I, bet he's, I bet he works as a casting agency. This guy is legitimately been in the age of Ultron party guest uncredited. Um, so there are background actors that do a bunch of background work. This guy, you know, very well could be that guy. It just is weird that he's in everything. Well, I mean, I don't think, I don't think in certain cases background gets credited. And I think there's probably a screen actors guild piece to that. Mm -hmm. And so since he doesn't, you know, since he's walking by in the back, I mean, obviously you don't get like all the background people in a shot don't get a credit in the film. No. Otherwise movie credits would be longer, even longer than they already are. Mm -hmm. So, but if this guy got mm -hmm. paid for those people get paid. Yes. So, you know, if he showed up and got, but it's just weird how many fucking superhero movies specifically that this guy is in the background of consistently over and over again, especially since he plays a, a zombie. Like when you go to his IMDb page, his picture is a fucking zombie. Uh, his first screen picture. And then like his third one is, um, he looks like Rick Schroeder's older creepy uncle. If you look at his regular, uh, regular picture. So, um, we will, we will do, we will do some follow-up research on, the, on Anthony J. Sacco. I also want to note since we touched on, uh, uh, Taylor being a person of color, Sean Millington is also black. The man who played with me. <laughs> <laughs> Play, in fact, he plays Black Caesar. When you said Black Caesar, uh, I was like, I yeah. think that's he's a well-known black pirate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he um, and he's done like he plays. He's in a bunch of the Stargates as as a named character, as kind of a background, one of the background sergeants in SG One, and I think he even makes it over to Atlantis. I didn't recognize him in that, I mean, but he plays the Hookman for ninety percent of the episode and gets the credit. Although I think the guy that they flash to at the end is this Jay Sacco guy. It's the face. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because he is. Uh, it's the, not a black guy who burns up at the end, and that's why when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, something, something's up here." And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's what the issue is." They vadered him. They vadered. They, they <laughs> did vader. They definitely vadered him. Absolutely vadered him. Does that happen often enough for us to call it being vadered? <laughs> it's, it's 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 the biggest. It's the biggest one. It's the, it's the most famous one. That's the most famous one. Probably the most famous one. If yeah. if we were going to call it something, that is what we call it for sure. <laughs> yeah. But if that's the only time it's happened, <laughs> do we really need a name for it? <laughs> when I was a kid, my great aunt on my dad's side taught at the college. It was like a big public speaker and historian in the, the town I grew up in. And I would occasionally have people over to her house and they were like, hey, Turner, do you want to go over to your aunt's? Darth Vader's going to be there. And it was actually, it wasn't James Earl Jones. Oh, <laughs> it was the actor that was in the suit. But I, dude, I was a real little kid. I would not go. I was like, fuck no, I'm not going to a party with Darth Vader. Anymore. Did you not see how that shit turned out in Cloud City, bitch? Fucking my God. Why would you even ask me that? We just saw the motherfucking movie. That does not end well. Somebody's getting their ass frozen in carbonite. I wouldn't go. I was terrified of the aspect of meeting Darth Vader as a kid. So I was, again, I was real little, but they were like, That's you want to go funny. meet Darth Vader? Which is a terrible thing to say to a child. <laughs> but you like, wouldn't know his name. Do you want to go meet Voldemort? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have known, but it's not like, hey, do you want to go meet the guy that was in the Darth Vader suit? Because back then, again, I was little enough that I didn't really yeah. even potentially understand that those were two different people. Right. I didn't 
understand fucking voiceovers at a young age. That's funny. But yeah, it was the equivalent of asking a young kid, hey, do you want to go meet Voldemort? Like, fuck no. And stop saying his name. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? <laughs> We're going to get Dark Lords. Do you want to get lost with Dark Lords? This is how we get Dark Lords. So we cut to daytime with the cops. Dean, once again, mm-hmm. Dean. Here comes a sheriff persuasion one more time. Dean backs up Sam's story to the sheriff because, you know, your accomplice that we've seen you with multiple times would absolutely be the best alibi for your murder story. Wait, wait. But the thing about it is the alibi doesn't make sense. Now it's still an unsolved murder. He, his, no, it absolutely is. <laughs> we shot at him. He ran away. That's it. The cop the cop starts to ask a follow-up question. He's like, bop, bop, bop. We're leaving town. <laughs> You just, you don't worry your pretty little head about it, Sheriff. We're out of here. And it's like, what the fuck? You came into town, there were lots of murders, and now you're leaving. Yes. And the murders stop. Number one on the civil statutes in this town is boys will be boys. Because that's all this year. I'm like, okay, fellas, you, you go on and get out of here. So Dean uh, watches Sam and Lori interact after Lori checks on Sam, getting his arm bandaged up. Dean offers to stay. Sam says no. Dean does one last look with a head shake. Disappointment. And they drive away. <laughs> Pure yeah. disappointment uh, in that yeah. look that uh, Dean gave him. Yeah. Dean was just like, God, dude. It's, it's, it's like, how, are we related? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the look he gives him. Like, are you? <laughs> Well, I will say early in the episode, definitely the right move to shake off traumatized girl making the move. Now at this point, I don't think it's, and I think the prohibition on the trauma <laughs> is over because you've handled yeah. the guy. Like now it's fair game, fellas. Yeah, she, uh, Sam, nope, nope. Sam is still uh, got dead girlfriend on the brain. So, so which I mean, again, probably the right thing. Sam is, is still in mourning for the first three seasons. And that ties up a middle, fairly middling episode of Supernatural. Overall, it does establish some really important lore pieces and then sent me down more than a couple of internet wormholes. Also has given me potentially a few NPC names when looking at the foreign title names like Ohomen Gancho Kukumis for the Finnish hookman, the Romanian Omul Karlig. I like that one. I like that one. There are some NPCs that are coming up with Hookman as their name. Campokies is a good one too. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's probably not pronounced like that, but it's a lot Oh, yeah. Of no, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. I'm, I'm pronouncing, again, grew up in Florida and Texas. I say everything fucking wrong. So I, and I reserve the right. Uh, really quickly touching on the discrepancy between the music, Higher Mathematics by Split Habit, which is the uh, song that's playing while they're getting ready for the date, is actually the same across both. both Netflix and the original airing, but then instead of Bang Your Head by Quiet Riot, as they pull up to the fraternity house, you get supercharged by the scheming no good. Scheming no good. Ironically, no space between no and good. And a scheming <laughs> spelled with uh, just, uh, just a lot going on there. <laughs> then Noise by Low Five plays when they meet uh, the Purple Man uh, and they question him about the death. That's the same across both. At Rest by Leslie Pearson is playing at the sermon, sermon for Lori's Dead Friend. Same across both. Royal Bethlehem by Leslie Pearson, again, playing across both. Uh, you Do To Me by Paul Richards plays at the college party where Operated On by Union of Knives is in the Netflix version. And then Peace of Mind by Boston at the end of the episode versus Dancing on a Wire by Key Grip. Yeah, that one I recognized. I was like, that's not the right song. Like, as <laughs> no. we were the last one, I was yeah. just like, that, that wasn't the same song. <laughs> So there is a little bit of crossover on the music on this, but they are still the key 
key moments are just, it just does not sit well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know if they make it all the way through season one before that corrects itself. I am certainly hoping that the key track for the finales makes it into season one, because otherwise we'll have a problem with it. But we're not going to discuss what that is until we get to that episode in the podcast. So, all right, guys, uh, we do have a decision to make now on what we want to homebrew for this episode. We can do a hooky ghost or we can do a magical weapon that is a hook are the two options I had to, to, to kind of throw out there. I hadn't thought about the magical hook. Definitely have the creature. I, I'm pretty sure I have the creature down. Though. Fire at me with the creature. So the creature is a mix between a white and a ghost. Okay. I, I give him the white stat line, give him multi-attack, take away his sunlight sensitivity and life drain, mm-hmm. and the longbow. Don't, don't, no longbow. Um, the right. long sword would be, I guess, a short sword. Yeah, it would be a hook yeah. or yeah or whatever. And then give him etherealness from the ghost. Incorporeal movement, you give him ethereal sight if if you felt so inclined and invisibility, I think. Yeah, he's definitely got invisibility and he's got a superior invisibility because he is quite, he goes invisible to attack and doesn't pop up visible as he's attacking. And like, he's like, he drags, like he kills the boyfriend while he's invisible, goes invisible to, and specifically to kill the boyfriend. You know, we get an invisible pull from Lori. Yeah, I I was torn between greater invisibility or not because most of the time when he attacks, he does pop yeah. up. Yeah. And so I was torn between giving him greater invisibility or invisibility, regular invisibility. So I, I, I think we could potentially homebrew it as if he's attacking with the hook. Yeah. It makes like, because he uses the hook, because he even uses the hook to damage stuff and he attacks people without the hook and stays invisible. But the second he goes to hook somebody, he pops up. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we would say, hey, look, when he's going to hook somebody, he turns visible. What about a gray render? Gray render. Not so much for the monster type, because they, they look, they, those basically look like a really pissed off rhinoceros. But because I think there's something about a link with these guys that I thought was... Because besides the hook, the link to somebody... I was stuck on Oni for a while because of kind of the spirit around some type of thing. A curious impulse drives the gray render despite its hulking form and terrible appetite. It wants most of all to bond with an intelligent creature and once bonded gives its life to protect that creature. A great strength in savage nature. So let's see how that translates into... Yeah, this doesn't really have any... Other than the lore aspect of it attaching to somebody, it doesn't have any game mechanic tied to that bond. That's really just a story piece to it. So disregard... (laughs) I think I think we could still tie it in as a lore element that this is a type of poltergeist that bonds to an individual and then acts on their repressed feelings. That because uh, again that kind of ties into the story hook potential for where you would use the creature again where it's you know somebody who feels uh, guilty about being a thief so it, it's killing other thieves in a thieves guild or it it is a cleric that is lawful good and the people that he you know, feels judgmental about end up getting attacked. So there's there's some different uh, different options that you can do that. I would say with that could potentially give them advantage on attacks against, if you do that symbiotic bond, that that person that is marked by the unwitting accomplice, the creature would have advantage on attacks against. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So we give him the white the white stat block. We give him a couple of the ghost abilities. We give him the improved invisibility when except when attacking people with the hook. And then we I would say we give him that symbiotic bond, allowing for the advantage on judgment. Any other thing, anything else we want to maybe tag to that? Maybe it is a a necklace that summons that white that we just created. We could definitely tie it to a magic, to the magical necklace, and then where there's kind of a stock where you have to destroy that or it comes back seven days after you kill it. There's a kind of a through line between the stuff that I've homebrewed mm-hmm. for for the Hunter's Party stuff that with like with the woman in white or the the water ghost, the WAP that we did. The WAP. WAP. Sorry, I'm getting a little plosive on that. Mm-hmm. WAP. I'm just not saying WAP a bunch of times. WAP. <laughs> That there was a specific way that you had to kill it. Other, if you weren't didn't have magical weapons, that would that would prevent it from coming back. So yeah, and you could yeah, you absolutely can then tie that to the bond. So the other thing is, if we made this a hook, give it short sword stats, and give it I don't know, give it extra an extra damage bonus against evil alignments. It almost feels like this would be something that. If we're not doing a cursed item, if we're just doing a, if, if the hook is just a pure magical item, does it have advantage on like somebody with the opposing alignment? Like if I'm lawful good, you're chaotic evil, those are diametrically opposed alignments. I have advantages on attacks against those creatures. That would play a little bit to it. Yeah. Cool. That's a, that's a quick and easy write up. Yeah. That w- is there anything else that that magical hook would do besides give you alignment based advantages? Is magical plus one? Yeah, plus one. I think it's a kind of a low level, low level item. Yeah, and, and that's a pretty limited advantage. You know what I mean? Like because you're just doing diametrically opposed. So it, if a lawful good character is fighting a lawful evil character, they don't get the advantage. They just get the plus one, and, and it's effectively useless for a true neutral character. But it ties into the kind of the judgmental aspect of the of the piece. I think. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to hit on as a wrap up for this episode? Nope. Nope. All right. Let's see what episode eight is for next time. It is bugs. Yeah, that's a fucking weird one. Oh, that's the is that the one with the the houses? Yeah, it's it's the one set in a sub subdivision. Yeah, the subdivision. Yeah, and yep. there's there are some bugs, but uh, that's that's a weird one with the way that it ties up, and we'll get into that on the next episode of the Hunter's Party. So on that note. Thank you to Anthony and Harlan for putting themselves through this episode and uh, the uh, weird internet wormholes that sent me down and then as well as providing additional commentary and laughing appropriately at erect priests. Thank you, <laughs> our Patreon supporters who pay for the benefit to access this content um, and help support the show by investing in it, providing the additional support that we need to continue to improve the show going forward. As always, we absolutely appreciate you joining us. And as always, hope you enjoy the show. 